Uh, welcome, church. Uh, this Easter, I, I told you last Sunday, I wanted to uh, kind of reprise or call back a series of teachings I did in December called The Spirit of Christmas, where we looked at all the different roles that the Holy Spirit played in, in the Christmas stories. I thought, well, we'll, we'll just reprise that theme at Easter season. And so there we have the, the spirit of Easter. And if you were here last Sunday, I kind of joked about going through the Palm Sunday stories and realizing, yeah, the, the, the direct references to the Holy Spirit uh, weren't in there. If you were here on Friday night, I told you the same thing. We get to the crucifixion story and at no point in the crucifixion narrative does it say, and here's exactly what the Holy Spirit did on, on Good Friday. So, so far we're 0 for 2. Um, but that didn't mean the Holy Spirit wasn't there. I, I hope if you were here and, and you studied with us, if you read with us, you came away agreeing with me that the entirety of God's word gives us very clear descriptions of, of how the Holy Spirit was so involved in the events surrounding this Holy Week. Um, guess what? Today, Easter Sunday, we're kind of in the same spot. <laughs> Because you go to the Gospels and you read the, the four different storytellers, their perspectives on the resurrection, and they have a lot to say, but you're not going to find that kind of smoking gun verse that maybe you would expect that tells you, and here's how the Holy Spirit was involved. We can't just go to the stories themselves and come up with an easy answer to this question about what is the Spirit of Easter. But I'm, I'm past it. I've done two of these sermons already. We got this Sunday, I got another one planned for next week. I'm over it. I'm so over it. We're going to do just fine. We're going to do just fine because we know that the Holy Spirit of God is alive and active and working and moving. And so all we have to do is take a look at what God's Word says, and I'm sure we're going to be just okay. So today, I want us to take a look at one very, very important verse, but you're not going to find it in the Gospel accounts. You're not going to find it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John as they tell the story of the resurrection. You're actually going to find it in a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a group of Christians living in the city of Rome. He wrote the letter about 25 years after the resurrection of Jesus, but he's still talking about Easter Sunday, and he has some very important things. The verse that I'm referring to, and it's the only verse that we're really going to study today, it's Romans chapter 8, verse 11. And Kelly Jean, if you want to put that first slide up, you will see Romans chapter 8, verse 11, redacted. I covered it up. I covered it up because today what I want to do is uncover it just a few pieces at a time so we can see what it says bit by bit by bit. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to ask Kelly Jean to remove the first two covers. I feel like this is the kind of thing that deserves a drum roll. I, do, you, do, you, do you have? There we go. And go! There it is. There it is. Let's take a look at Romans chapter 8, verse 11, still somewhat redacted. Says It says, the Spirit of God raised Jesus from the dead. There we have it. There we have it. The Spirit of God raised Jesus from the dead. We have finally a direct explanation of how the Holy Spirit was involved in the resurrection. According to the Bible, the Holy Spirit was the one who actually made the resurrection possible. And that's what we celebrate on Easter Sunday morning, right? So 
here's how I think we can put it. The Holy Spirit was responsible for Easter. Isn't that an interesting way of thinking about it? The Holy Spirit was responsible for Easter. I, I, I chose to emphasize that word responsible because I think when we do go back to the gospel stories, when we do go back to the part of the Bible that tells us what actually happened on Sunday morning, responsibility is kind of one of the issues. That's one, one of the problems when all of this is discovered. The question of who is responsible for this. The body's missing. Who's responsible? Some people thought that Jesus' followers were responsible for stealing the body from the tomb, and, and the Romans thought that might happen, and so that's why they placed some soldiers at the tomb to guard the front of it after Jesus had been buried. They didn't want Jesus' disciples to steal the body and fake a resurrection. Can you imagine? I, how many people have served in the armed forces in this room? Uh, thank you. Thank you. First of all, thank you for your service. I know we have plenty here. I am not a veteran, but who would you have to tick off to pull that assignment? You know, stand in front of this grave and make sure the dead guy doesn't go anywhere. Like you, you must have really done something wrong in order, in order for your, your commanding officer to give you that assignment. But that's what happened. That's what happened at Easter. The Romans thought the disciples were responsible. The guards were afraid that people were going to say that they were responsible for the body being gone. And they knew that a mistake like that wouldn't just cost them their jobs. It would probably cost them their lives. Mary Magdalene, who, who Miss Cat was talking about in the story she did, Mary Magdalene thought the keeper of the garden where Jesus was buried, she thought he was responsible for the body being missing. And so when she saw somebody that she thought was the gardener, she told him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I'll go get him. There's all these questions about who's responsible for the empty tomb. On Easter Sunday morning, everybody was trying to figure out who was responsible. But the Bible is very, very clear about who was responsible. It wasn't the disciples. It wasn't the Roman soldiers. It wasn't the gardener. It was the Holy Spirit who was responsible. But of course, the verse is still redacted. There's more to read here. And so we're going to have to uncover a few more things. Should we do another drum roll? Yeah. I feel like a drum roll would be appropriate here. Okay, so here we go. Drum roll, please. Oh, Kelly Jean wants it louder. She wants it louder. I can see. Okay, there it is. And ha ha! There we are. Romans 8:11, still somewhat redacted, says the Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. Well, lives in who? I mean, it says. It doesn't say Dan. It doesn't say Dan. The Spirit of God. Wouldn't that be nice if it said the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in Dan Martinson? I, I, I would like that, but that's, that's not what it says there. Uh, remember what I told you. This is from the book of Romans, which is part of our Bible. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. Did anybody in the room ever go to their mailbox and find an envelope in it? And in that envelope was a letter from the Apostle Paul. Anybody ever get a letter from the... I mean, I know the mail system is slow sometimes, so it, it could be. No, I, I, I never did either. 
So before we raise any conclusions about who's being addressed here and, and where exactly the Holy Spirit is living, we have to do some of the work of biblical interpretation. We have to figure out who Paul is talking about here. We can't just assume that the you in this verse means you and me. We have to figure out who he's talking about. I already said the book of Romans is a letter that he wrote to Christians living in the city of Rome. They were being persecuted by the many non-believers who lived in that city. And so their homes and their businesses and even their lives were in danger. And Paul had hoped to go and visit them someday, but he wanted to at least send them a letter of encouragement first. And that's what we're reading from. We're reading from Paul's letter of encouragement and instruction to a suffering church. So when Paul says the spirit of God lives in you, he's speaking very specifically to the followers of Jesus who lived in Rome during the first century. Do we have any followers of Jesus in the room today? Okay, very, very good. We're good so far. Do any of you live in Rome? Mm, that's going to be a problem. Uh, any of you live in Rome during the first century? Maybe you've moved since. No, no. Okay, so we've got some problems here first. We have to figure out if this applies to us or not. And the issue is this. When the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit living in someone, this is not the only verse we have that says that. As a matter of fact, Paul said the exact same thing to another group of Christians who happened to live in Corinth. And the prophet Ezekiel, many hundreds of years earlier, had said the very same thing to a bunch of God's people living uh, in exile. And the Apostle Peter had said the same thing to people from a variety of nations around the world at a very different time in, in, on the day of Pentecost. So we, here we have this statement that the Spirit of God lives in you being spoken to people from a variety of different backgrounds in a variety of different times. But what do they all have in common? They are all people of God. They are all people who have submitted their lives to the authority and to the rule of God and living for his kingdom. And the Holy Spirit was said to live in every one of them. So if it's true, not just of the Romans, but of these people and these people and these people and these people, and we can find the pattern again and again and again in scripture. And I think we have to say it's true of us. For those of us whose lives are submitted to Jesus, uh, this applies to us. Could, could we just agree that it's fair to say about the Holy Spirit that he lives in all of Jesus' followers? He lives in all of Jesus' followers. This is actually a very important piece of theology uh, that we come to this understanding that the Holy Spirit of God is not some distant, esoteric, hard-to-describe, uh, immaterial force, but that the Bible tells us again and again that God's Spirit has chosen to make his home within his people. He's close, and he's personal, and he's in contact and in touch. It's interesting to me that so many of us were taught to understand Christianity and salvation using terms like invite Jesus into your life or ask Jesus into your heart. Now, I think that language is perfectly fine. I'm not going to say there's anything wrong with it, but I do want to point out today, it's worth noting that the Bible doesn't really talk about Jesus living in us nearly as much as it talks about the Holy Spirit living in us. That's what makes the followers of Jesus unique. They are a people of God's spirit. You see, there's lots of people in the world who are interested in what Jesus had to say, but only his followers can truly be described as being born of the spirit. 
And it's because the Spirit of God lives inside them. Can we say this today? It's what's inside that matters. It's what's inside that matters. When I get a gift box of chocolates, I always, I'm the guy who looks, sometimes the ones I like have a a cheat sheet in them, or maybe in the box lid, it tells you what's in each one. Do we have anybody here, we're gonna lay hands on you and pray for you in a minute, that puts their thumb in every one? Yeah, yeah, this is an abomination under the Lord. I appreciate that we have a number of people being outed by family members here. Yeah, there's a lot of things going on that we're going to have to discuss later on. No, you know, the the, the good ones have the the chart on them, and so you know what you're getting into. Sometimes, though, you just got to go in. You just got to go in and figure it out. Um, Because some of those chocolates are, are like, can we just start with this? Chocolate tastes good. Chocolate tastes good. All right, let's pray and go home. Um, No, chocolate tastes good, but what they put in it can really have a profound effect on whether or not I want to be eating that or not. I personally, what I don't like in my chocolate is nuts. I don't, I don't like nuts in my chocolate, so I try to avoid those. I give them non there. Uh, Sue doesn't like the fruit creams for the most part, but she likes the nuts. So between her and I, we can, we can go through a box pretty well. I remember when I was a kid, I couldn't stand the coconuts. But now I like the coconut ones, right? Right, but did you ever bite into a chocolate and then be like, no thank you? Right? Because no amount of chocolate is worth putting up with whatever you have to put up with on the inside. Everybody has their own opinions, but I think we would all agree that when it comes to candy chocolates, it's it's what's inside that makes the difference. When it comes to the tomb on Easter Sunday morning, it's what's inside that makes the difference, amen? And the message here today is that when it comes to followers of Jesus, it's what's inside that makes the difference. And the Holy Spirit of God says he lives inside all of Jesus's followers and nothing could be better than that. But you see the screen, we still have one more big part of this verse that's been redacted. So in one fell swoop, we're gonna, we're gonna tear the cover off, we're gonna read the entire verse because there's more to come. Are you ready? One last time. I, hope you I needed like a sound effect. That's what we needed today. We were missing that, but you know, next week maybe. Here we are, Romans chapter eight, verse 11, in its entirety says this. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit living within you. Can I just read that one more time? Because there's a lot going on there. I want you to hear it again. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, In the same way, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit living within you. So here's where I hope we've arrived here. Who was responsible for raising Jesus from the dead? It was the Holy Spirit, right? Okay, we've got that issue settled. Well, where is the Holy Spirit right now? I mean, that was 2,000 years ago. Where, Where is he right now? Where can we find him? 
Well, he's, he's living within the followers of Jesus. He's living in us. And this last part of the verse, I feel like, answers the question, so, so what's, what's he doing there? Is he just looking for the chocolate that we ate? Like, what's he doing inside of us? What's going on? What's he doing? And what Romans 8 is telling us, he's doing for you and for I the very same thing he did for Jesus. He's doing for you and I the very same thing that he did for Jesus. I want to put it this way. Jesus' followers live with resurrection power. We live with resurrection power. Now, here's what I believe that means. First of all, it means the Holy Spirit within us is a guarantee that we will someday be resurrected just as Jesus was resurrected. I'm talking about a bodily resurrection after death. Death will not have the final word on us. Death is not the end, but we live with the deposit of the Holy Spirit as a guarantee in our lives that we too will rise again. This is a central truth of the Bible, not just that Jesus was raised from the dead, but that someday we all will be raised from the dead. That's what's happening here. Remember, Jesus' resurrection didn't happen because he was Jesus. You follow me there? We think, oh my goodness, this amazing story. How did this happen? And if your response to how did it happen was, well, he, I mean, he was Jesus. You know, come on, he was Jesus. So of course he raised from the was Jesus. That's the wrong answer. We just read the right answer. It didn't happen because he was Jesus. It happened because of the one who was within him. It happened because of the Holy Spirit. And oh, by the way, that same Holy Spirit is living in you. So if it happened for Jesus, why wouldn't it happen for you? Yes, this verse is telling us we live in the promise of a future bodily resurrection. But there's something else that I think is even more exciting that's going on here. And I want to highlight it for you. Paul is saying that there's another kind of resurrection. And because of the Holy Spirit, we don't have to wait for it. It's already taking place. I'm going to borrow from a different letter he wrote to the Ephesians. He said there, I pray that you might know his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. He says, I pray that you might know that power today, in the present, in the now of your life. He doesn't say, I pray that someday after you die, you will experience the great power that Jesus has prepared for you because of the resurrection of the dead. That's not what he says. He says, I pray that right now, in whatever you face, in whatever trial you are facing, in whatever circumstances you find yourself, wherever you are right now, I pray that you would remember, that you would know, that you would experience that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you as a follower of his today. Thank you, Lord. Today. How, how much power do you suppose that is? How much, how much power does it take to raise Jesus from the dead? I, I don't even know what units we're supposed to use. Is this foot pounds? Is this a jewels? Is, is, I, don't, I don't know the units that we're supposed to use, but it, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot of power to raise Jesus from the dead. And the Bible says that whatever that amount of power is, however you want to describe it, however you want to quantify it, that is the amount of power that lives inside the follower of Jesus each and every day. 
And we don't have to wait until physical death to experience it. We don't have to wait until physical death to leverage it or to utilize it or to benefit from it. No, that power lives in us each and every day that we submit our lives to him. And here's what that means. Follower of Jesus, the pain of sin, the wounds you've experienced, the guilt of sin may cause you to feel dead inside. You read the Easter week story, you don't identify so much with the resurrected Christ, you identify more with the body and the tomb. You say, that sounds a little bit more descriptive of where I am right now. Well, this word is for you. The pain and the wounds and the guilt of sin may cause you to feel dead inside. The darkness of betrayal and persecution and abandonment have entombed you in what seems to be hopelessness. But that body, that corpse in a tomb is where the Holy Spirit has said, that's where I will make my home. That's where I want to live. And whether you see it or not, there's a resurrection taking place. Whether you feel it or not, there's a resurrection taking place. Whether you think you deserve it or not, there's a resurrection taking place. Can I just ask you as a, as a matter of logic here, do dead bodies see Do they feel? Do they know? Do they want? Do they think? You say, Pastor, I can't see it. I can't see it. I I, I think I'm just dead. Spiritually, I'm just dead. I can't see it. I can't feel it. You talk about a resurrection. I don't know. I haven't experienced it. You know why? Because you're in the tomb. But the Holy Spirit says, don't worry, I'm there too. You don't have to feel it right now. You don't have to see it. Dead bodies don't. But there's a resurrection taking place. There's a resurrection taking place because in the physics of God's kingdom, tombs were meant to be empty. They simply don't have the strength to force their contents back inside. In the mathematics of God's kingdom, no amount of condemnation can equal the Holy Spirit's power to raise up. In the literature of God's kingdom, no tale ends in death. The story must go on because the Holy Spirit is the author and he's the author of new life. And so you ask me, Dan, what is the spirit of Easter? What is the spirit of Easter? I tell you this, the spirit of Easter is the knowledge and the belief and the conviction and the assuredness that resurrection is not an anomaly. It's not a fairy tale about something that happened once a long time ago to a specially unique man. It's not a story to remember and it's not even a promise to hope for. It's a reality to live in. The spirit of Easter is that resurrection is the everyday experience for the people of God. That's the promise of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back to the stage because there's a song we need to sing together before we dismiss today. But as they get ready, I want to say this to you. The calendar says it's Sunday. You walked into church today and it even looks different in here. Thank you, Dawn, by the way. People are dressed up. I see, I see suits and ties. People are dressed up. 
you walk into this building and there's no, there's no missing the point. It's Sunday. It's Sunday. And it's not just any Sunday. It's Easter Sunday. But can I just, can I say what needs to be said here? Many of us are still living out an endless string of Saturdays. Share the truth. We're just, it's Saturday again and again and again. It's over and it's over and it's over. We don't feel like it's Sunday yet. We don't feel like it's time to celebrate. We don't feel like we're in a place to celebrate. You know why? It's okay. It's okay. Let's just say it. Corpses don't celebrate. They don't celebrate. And so on our calendars, it's just Saturday again and again and again. Corpses don't celebrate and dead bodies don't dance. Dry bones don't rattle and we're all still in the tomb. Some of us feel that way today. If that's you, would you dare to believe that something else is happening that you cannot see, you cannot perceive? You can't follow Jesus. You're not going to be able to figure this out on your own. Because you're not the one who's going to feel it first. You're not the one who's going to experience it first. You're not the one who's going to see it first. Would you dare to believe regardless that something else is possible? Would you dare to dream that God's power is more at work within you then you realize perhaps even more at work within you than it ever has been? Would you summon the strength that he has given you one more time and incline your ear? Would you determine to trust him? Would you see maybe, just maybe, just maybe? Do I have the power to open my eyes just to slit? Will you live again? Will you, will you live again? The tomb is empty, folks. The stone has been rolled away and everything has changed.